It's coffee. It's comics. It's music. It's Nerds on Coffee. How has your... First of all, let's not get in anything else before we get into this, um, I'm assuming, delicious coffee drink that you brought me. Uh, this is from a place called Olive in Time. It's in like the Burbank, Toluca Lake area. It's dope. What is this drink? Well, honestly, Kyle, I was going to get you something fancy, but then I had a glass of their, or a cup of their regular black coffee, uh-huh. and it's really, really good. Okay. And so I just wanted to get you a bit of their black coffee. I think, you know what, let's try it. Mm. I definitely like this better, better than Palm's black coffee, which you said was really good. This is this is a little bit more mild. Yeah, it's not it's as not bitter. Dark, yeah, it's, it's not, not a dark as, blend. It's not as bitter up front, and like I can taste a little bit more, um, a little bit more flavor. Yeah, it's cool. Well, it's interesting. Well, hello everyone, by the way. Hi, hi. We uh, we were gonna do some promo today, also for you guys, so you can see our beautiful faces on Facebook ads and Instagram ads, and maybe even Google Analytics if we were getting uh, feisty with it. But <laughs> LA decided to turn into Seattle today. And, it's been raining nonstop, and it's uh, I mean, I could probably kayak out on the street. Yeah, it's not gonna let up until like like a few more days either, which is legitimately disappointing. Um, With that being said, though, it's kind of refreshing to see some weather. I mean, it is nice. Uh, one of my favorite Daniel Tosh jokes is whenever he's talking about how people who are like, I could never live in Southern California. I miss seasons too much. I need seasons. And he's like, yeah, that's why I moved to a place that skips the shitty ones. I love seasons too. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's pretty good. Well, I always, you know, and that's a sentiment that I've always have carried with me. Like, yeah, I, I carry a similar one. I always say, like, I love to ski. I just don't want to live in the snow. 100%. So, last week, I saw Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Into the Spider-Verse. Wow. Um, a little tongue twister there. I have, still haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet, uh, but... The only thing I could think I about when I like. watched the part with Spider-Man Noir, Nicolas Cage's character... Uh-huh. Was was his pet octopus there <laughs> when he was listen, when he was doing the voiceovers? He's got like a fucking mobile tank that he takes it around in. <laughs> <laughs> Don't talk down to Fred like that. That's I hope his name's Fred. Um, <laughs> no, but, but in all seriousness, uh, the hype is warranted. the the mu- the, the 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 score, the animation, the animation styles. The voice acting, it, it was all really, really incredible. Like, I, I was thoroughly impressed, and I went in there with high hopes, and they were they were all pretty much uh, met. That's great. I mean, I've heard nothing but good things about it. Um, Why haven't you seen it yet? I just, it's still only out in theaters, and so I just haven't, I have physically had a chance to, like, leave my house and go watch it. I mean, I guess I could have gone to, like, a late showing, um, but, yeah, I don't know. It hasn't really been a huge priority. Have I'm, you seen any movies this week? Not any... Well, okay, so I did watch Bird Box finally because I was <laughs> super sick. I got, um, I got pneumonia and was just couch-ridden with my dogs. So I watched Bird Box 
and overall, I think it's like okay. Like I don't have any like overtly negative things to say about it, but on, like at the same token, like I don't really have like a lot of amazing things to say about it. Like I felt like I had already seen the movie as soon as I started watching it. Um, I agree with you when we were talking about it before. Sandra Bullock is really good. I like how she plays her character, and she's kind of a hard ass. Like, and I didn't say badass. She's, I mean, she's kind of a badass in the movie if you watch it, but she's like a hard ass. She's like super cold and like distant and like, um, no, I made it fun to watch though. The, I think the redeeming character in that entire movie is John Malkovich. Uh, I love John Malkovich. I, his, his role was not, I don't think intended to be comedic but i thought almost everything that he said was hilarious because i could somewhat relate to it <laughs> so if you haven't watched bird box yet check it out just for the sake of being you know in the loop of what everyone's talking about but john malkovich is basically just this fucking sociopath who doesn't care about anybody and it's really funny to watch him interact with other people in like an end of the world scenario so i'm happy that you finally saw it yeah my my biggest thing with Bird Box was there were some unrealistic things that didn't happen. So, first off, spoiler alert. Again, fuck all of you if you're <laughs> listening to a podcast about movies and music, and I even need to say that. But It's fair. It's fair. I, I thought that there should have been things like you should have seen a group of people that burn their eyes out. Yeah, um, that probably happens. Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, if if there was a situation where if you see something, you die, inherently there would be a group of people. The size of it, I don't know, but at least five people yeah. in the world would have been like, I'm burning my eyes out then. For sure. 100%. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I definitely think that anything's on the table whenever you're in that scenario. I did think it was cool. You know, I didn't feel suspense a ton throughout the movie just because, I, again, like I felt like I had already seen it whenever I started watching it. But whenever the dude, whenever they're in the house and the guy is monitoring his like security cameras and it keeps cutting back to him and they like tie him to the chair, you know, like I did get a little, I feel a little bit of suspense and I was like, oh shit, like what's going to happen? Because in that scene, you legitimately don't know. I mean, you could probably assume that what happened happened you know but i thought that was kind of a cool way to do it i wish there would have been more shit like that in the movie i wish they would show the demon yeah f what the fuck is that about saving money on you animation got the guys yeah well the whole budget went to sandra bullock first of all but <laughs> um thanks sandra speed the speed and miscongeniality money is running out so she's gotta just kind of get some other work and so two movies which i absolutely love by the way um forgot she was in speed yeah dude that's og that's like well that was keanu after reeves. yeah keanu reeves that was after hackers true um but before she kind what, of what like, is her movie uh, movie discography let's look that um, up so when you type her into IMDb, the first thing that comes up is producer and then Miss Congeniality. So I think Miss Congeniality. So Blindside. Oh, Blindside for sure. I thought she was great in that. The proposal. That was hilarious. The proposal was really I funny. I love Ryan Reynolds also. Gravity was great. Um, Do you ever see Gravity? No, I never watched it because I just heard so many conflicting opinions by the time I, it was even an option for me to see it. I just was 
exhausted by everyone talking about it. I'm just like, eh. It was good. I'll pass. It was good. Um, uh, Our Brand is Crisis was a good movie also, even though it's a horrible name for a movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, she has a lot of movies I've never heard holy of. Holy shit. I did not know that she was a voice in the Minions movie. She played Scarlet Overkill. Stop. She voiced that. Yeah, I had no idea. Stop. Uh, the Heat was funny. 28 you know, Days. We've got a bunch of stuff to talk about, but we're just not going to talk about it. We're just going to read Sandra Bullock's <laughs> history for an hour. Um, <laughs> I didn't know they made a miscongeniality, too. <laughs> Oh, of course. I bet, I bet it was awful. <laughs> I oh, mean, man. how the, those types of things, how do you how do you do sequels of? Oh, oh no. <laughs> oh wow, two weeks notice. Two weeks notice. There's a lot of really bad movies in here. The <laughs> net, that's what I was thinking of. Well, I said hackers. I knew someone was gonna probably like call me out on that. But I knew it was like this computer movie it was the net. Um yeah, speed. Love potion number nine. I forgot she was in that. That's way throwback, and I've now lost interest. Um, so what? <laughs> so what other movies have you watched this week when you were sick? You can't. You could not have watched only Bird Box. You're right. I I watched the you're Dark Knight, and you rewatched <laughs> Infinity War for a second time. I rewatched Infinity War. I rewatched <laughs> for a second time uh, on Netflix. On Netflix since it's been released. <laughs> Um, I watched The Dark Knight. How good is it? Still holds up, man. Yeah, it still I thought holds it was up. great. The dialogue's good. You want a fun like, fact about The Dark Knight? You know that opening scene that's horrible because you don't see any blood when he shoots the guy? You know why that is? Because mm-hmm. the, uh, whatever the company is that rates movies. Oh, the whatever. Yeah, the whatever company. The whatever company. They uh, they told Christopher Nolan that if there was one more scene with blood or real violence, it was going to be rated R because of how evil Heath Ledger was in the movie. So they had to curb that scene so that stayed PG-13. That's crazy. Yeah. The Motion Picture Association of American Film. Yes, that company. Rating system. I like the whatever company better, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> that's We're going to start the business. It's called the whatever company. <laughs> it's going to be the Seinfeld of, of corporations. Be like, what does your business do? It does nothing. The fact that it can be about anything means that it's not about anything. It's about nothing. Um, anyway, enough about Sandra Bullock and ratings companies. Um, so well, when you're... You're flying this month to yeah, Australia. A lot. Yeah, I'm going out for a few days um, with Logan, and then I come back for like two days, and then I go to Australia with Starly for like three days, four days. So when you're flying to Australia, what what airline are you flying? We usually fly Virgin Australia, but it's facilitated either by Delta or American. I can't remember. So, those so it's long, like an American flight. Those like, long-ass flights, mm-hmm. I'm assuming... You watch a lot of movies. I watch a lot of movies. It's gotten, over the years, it's gotten harder for me to sleep on planes, which is really sad. Um, But, because that was my one true form of time travel, was just being, that's like my superpower of just being able to sleep heavily on a plane, no matter how long the flight was. I did that for years. And I can't really do that anymore for whatever reason. Um, So yeah, I watch a ton of movies. The last time I flew back from Australia, I watched five movies in a row, like back to back to back. 
to back. To back. <laughs> Do you know, have you ever... Have you ever looked at what movies are playing beforehand to like kind of game plan, or do you just kind of get on the plane and be like, okay, what 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 do we have? I didn't even know that it was an option for me to look up what airlines were playing. Oh yeah, you you can go to the app now for each airline and it shows you what's playing. Oh, interesting. Did I just you know, open Pandora's box? I think I usually yeah. Well, maybe because it's a fun game for me to like always have like my safety net of like my offline Netflix, um, you know, items for viewing, and then. Like, I always have that as my backup, but then I'm always like, well, I'm an, I know that they're going to have, like, super current stuff on the flight, and so I'll always look there first, and if nothing looks interesting, or if I don't want to watch Silver Linings Playbook for the 57th time, I'll just... You've watched it that many times? Well, I just feel like that's an example of the type of movie that all airlines always have, and you're, like, scrolling through the titles, and it's like, whatever new Marvel movie is out, a couple of other big titles... Some other ones that flew under the radar that you didn't notice, and then just movies like that, and it's just like, eh, okay. Um, uh, yeah. So what? Who knows? So we're in day twenty-three of the federal shutdown. It means two things to me. Mm -hmm. One, a lot more Netflix has been consumed this month than people originally thought would be. Yeah. And two. People are going negative on their rent now. Yeah. How does that even happen? I don't know, dude. I mean, the government shutdowns, I feel like, always affect people in a lot more ways than I think the general public realizes. Because if you're not directly affected by that, you probably don't think about it. You know, like if you don't know someone right. who has a government job, like a federal government job, or if you don't know somebody that, you know is directly affected by that. You probably don't think about it a ton. I for sure don't, you know. Yeah, so, I was uh, I was at the airport the other day traveling. You know, I wasn't just going for the fun of going. I've <laughs> never been to the airport to just, like, relax. You should. I mean, I would in Miami because you can get into the Centurion Lounge. That is a dope lounge. I do like the Miami airport. Um, Continue. <laughs> but I met this FBI agent, and she had told me that, like, they weren't allowed to go to work weren't getting paid, and we're told to just put everything on a credit card. That's really <laughs> fucked up. Like, <laughs> like how, how, how do we live in America, and that's what's being told? First of all, m like, millions of people live like that by their own choice every day. They're just like, fuck work, I'm not going to do anything, and I have ten credit cards, and this is my life. So that's like normal life for a lot of people, which is really <laughs> sad. But that's crazy. Uh, my sister used to work for the federal government. She lived in Alexandria, Virginia, just right totally. across the river Where everyone from D.C. Lives, right? Yeah. Um, and she, like, I feel like would... I haven't actually even talked to her about the shutdown yet. She, she doesn't work for the government anymore, but, like, I should ask her about it. That's nuts. What does she do now? Um, she works for... Uh, the school district of Conroe ISD, which is outside of Houston. I think that's right. The, the the school districts here are going on strike, right? Are they? Look it up. I'm pretty I sure they know. are. That's what I was reading that the uh, that the schools were asking for like a billion dollars or something, not even for raises, but for like better classrooms. Um. Let's see, what, what do we got going on? Here? Yeah, so here's a USA Today article. 
that went up 22 hours ago. Los Angeles teachers plan to strike Monday. Here's what you need to know. Um, 34,000 educators strong. Um, they're expected to strike Monday, which is today. Um, so they've been negotiating contract for about two years now, and they haven't really gotten anywhere, according to this article. And so I think that's a lot of what the strike has to do with. Um, just how big is the strike? Uh, the LA Unified School District, which covers 710 square miles and is home to 4.8 million residents, serves more than 640,000 K through 12 students. That's more students than the entire state of Wyoming has people. I always feel like that's a really, really funny way to say how many things there are is to compare it to an entire state because if you live in wyoming and for some reason if you come across this article you're like wow there's more like primary education public school students in just los angeles than my whole state that's really funny to me anyway that was probably, <laughs> that was probably an unnecessary <laughs> departure <laughs> but, but it, it just it just shows that on paper, this country's falling apart. 100%. Uh, LAUSD is the second largest employer in Los Angeles County, and that means the strike will impact hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah, it's it's just sad that we live in a society where people can't get along, and the only things that people really agree on is whether or not a movie or TV show sucks or is great. Like, think about that. The only thing that you can say objectively everybody agrees to disagree or agrees to agree on civilly is art. Yeah. I feel like generally speaking, I mean, obviously there's going to be exceptions to that too, but I think like on a broad scale, that's probably the biggest thing that you could point a finger at and be like, people are usually the most chill about this. I mean, I don't know. I mean, like writers for TV shows go on strikes all the time. And so... True. Um, true. That is true. Speaking about TV shows, have you read anything about this new show called The Passage? No. It about apparently it is kind of I guess a vampire show. Why don't you Google this real quick? I, I was I was so confused as to what it was from the ads, like, like from the Scott. from the from the stagnant ads from the from the picture ads. Like just just turn on the the the, the trailer. I want you to watch it real quick, and and then I watched the trailer and one of the lines in it is. These things suck blood. Why don't you just call them vampires? And then the other guy <laughs> responds, says, because there's no such thing as vampires. Well, apparently there fucking are. Um, but, but, the, but, but the whole reason I even bring this up is because Rotten Tomatoes gave it an 83, which I think seems a, a way better of a rating than what the preview looked at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like generous. Like, like all right, I'm going to watch it real quick. Let's talk about it. We'll pause here. Which no one will know because I am a genius editor. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense to me. So I just watched a trailer for The Passage. Obviously, um, Matt described it as a show that's like pseudo about vampires. I say pseudo. It's So apparently he and I watched two different trailers for this because the trailer that I watched was way too long. Um, and there were like maybe three total shots of like a quote unquote vampire. It's just these like really ill 
contained people with like blood dripping down their mouths and it's like obvious I very it's obvious that they're trying to tell you they're like hey they're vampires but it just doesn't make sense like they don't like I have more questions now than I do answer because like you should watch a trailer and it should go okay it answers the fundamental question of what is this about and then you get to go cool I'm going to go watch it now like that didn't happen. I, I have, <laughs> I have more questions of what is this about. It didn't it just seem like it was, uh, Resident Evil it's, meets some shitty drama. Yeah, like Resident Evil meets Blue Bloods. Oh my god. Or something, like, <laughs> but like a shitty Resident Evil because like I am a big Mila Jovovich fan. Well, so, I mean that movie's amazing. And I grew up on the games and like so if you like play all the games and then watch the movies when they come out obviously the movies are like they're not going to win any awards or anything but but I, I, mean, I liked them for for everyone that didn't um first of all zach morris looks real upset in the trailer by the way who is that who that That's is fucking zach morris from say by the bell dude Stop. yeah uh mark paul glossier or gosla or gosla no something way like that. yeah that's fucking zach oh, so morris this is dude. big comeback yeah, and it's funny too in the in the uh, like the text underneath the trailer in, the, like, the, in like the little info section, they like gave the like the spiel for the show, and they like listed they they're like oh agent Brad whatever, and then in parentheses they put Mark's name, and then they have a comma, and then put what he's known for, and they put this thing called pitch as if Saved by the Bell isn't the most well known thing he's ever done. It's like. Come on, man. Wait, so they, they tried to say that his most known thing was not Saved by the Bell. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I didn't even know he was Bell. in anything else. I mean, he's been in a bunch of stuff over the years, but... Okay, Saved by the Bell. I don't even know his name, so I'm going to look up Saved by it's the Bell. It's Mark Paul, so I just can't pronounce his last name. Or No, it's okay. I don't remember it anyway. Mark Paul Goss... Oh, yeah. Exactly what you said. So... Um, movies. Look at the trailer for The Passage and... Tell us if we're ridiculous in thinking that it looks. He's in not NYPD great. Blue. Okay, yeah, you know what? Maybe it's Resident Evil meets NYPD Blue. That's what it is. <laughs> he was in that. Um, I'm trying to see what else. Well, I mean, I'm. He looks so much more serious of a human being than he's ever looked. Right. There's this one scene. <laughs> there's this one scene in the trailer where they like they have to like get this little girl to take her to this scientist because they like want to experiment on her or something. And like his his partner like grabs her or like reprimands her or something, throws her in a car, and then apparently he uh, Zach Morris's character like. It, like that's not okay because he's got like a moral compass or whatever and it's just like the one of the worst cases of overacting i've ever seen he literally like he looks at his partner's like if you touch the girl again i'm gonna shoot you in the face that's literally the line <laughs> as it was <laughs> as it was delivered i lost oh it oh my god i started laughing so hard like it was really bad we should move on i could berate this trailer all day <laughs> <laughs> um, <Okay>, so <laughs> moving on from what seems to be just a horrible I want to talk about Sandra condition. Bullock again <laughs> well I mean I wanted to go back to Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse <laughs> yeah <laughs> and talk about Nicolas Cage as Spider-Man Noir um amazing yeah so that so you said that that was a good I mean it was it was pretty f fucking hilarious um 
I dude, I still want to watch it. Like, I mean, you need to go see it. Okay, okay. You just need to go see it. I feel like bring the little man. Can he go to movies yet? I mean, like technically he can. I but bet that, they that's don't a charge you for him. Huge asshole move to do. Like, first of all, he's he would not sit through more, even part of one trailer. For those of you that don't know, my son isn't even two yet, and so if you bring a toddler or under to a movie theater. First of all, you can go fuck yourself because that, that is a super, like, dick thing to do. That's why I'm not going to do it. That's why I haven't been able to go see it. I'm not going to take Ellis to the movies just because I want to go see a movie. He wouldn't even enjoy it. He would have the worst time. Um, he's just not old enough yet. So That's hilarious. What is the youngest you could, like, take a kid to the movie? Like, four or five? I, I really actually maybe? don't have that answer. Four or five? I don't know. Someone tell us. And then also judge me for being really aggressive to people who take toddlers to movies. But I don't. The, I'm not in a minority though. Like I'm, I represent the majority of people. I feel like who would get frustrated if you brought a one and a half year old to a movie and like they were doing things that one and a half year olds inevitably do. I feel that. So, um, another one that I'm seeing here, I'm looking at Rotten Tomatoes right now. Mm-hmm. That just really upsets me is Glass. Have you heard about this movie? Yeah, I'm super into it. Yeah. Well, we've talked about it. We talked about it a couple episodes well, ago. And I'm Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 38. I'm not surprised, to be honest with you. That makes me, like, sad, because, like, I legitimately think the movie's going to be better than that. But I... Uh, I mean, they gave Aquaman a 64 in retrospect. There's no way Aquaman's better than Glass is going to be. That's just... There's no way. <laughs> um... Why not? I just think, well, come on. Like, it's just. Okay, I was actually talking to um, my wife about this. My goal through the podcast is to just get M. Night Shyamalan to know how big of a fan I am, and then we can just be friends. <laughs> so. I mean, Signs is a great movie. Signs is a great movie. They're all great movies, man. Uh, Sixth Sense, Signs, Village, Lady in the Water, Unbreakable. Fucking, you know, glass. <laughs> you haven't seen it yet. No one's seen it yet. That doesn't about, mean it's not. What about awesome. the new? Oh, Dragon Ball. Dragon Ball Super Broly. Dragon Ball's doing a movie. Yeah. Got a 79. Hmm. Were you a Dragon Ball fan as a kid? Briefly, I didn't get into it. Were you more Pokemon? Hundred percent. Yeah. So it was really up, one of the two, right? I especially for like I feel like my age bracket. Like I'm. Like, I turned 30 this year, and so, like, I grew up on, like, my elementary school years were filled with nothing but, like, Pokemon and Power Rangers, and that was pretty much it. So, the way it should be, right? Well, that's the way it was. Um, I loved it. thought it was awesome. Uh, real quick, before we move on from the general movie discussion, I had... Um, because I want to talk about uh, writing. Um, oh wow! Words, words. not music. Um, I feel like that's the assumption in my line of work is whenever you say the word writing, you just automatically go to songs. But that's not the case. I would venture that there are more people that um, write creatively and write literature and, and author. Oh, do you know any and of those write people? Write short stories more than there are people that write music. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> none have none have identified themselves anyway. Um, no, real quick. So this new movie with Brian Cranston, Kevin Hart's called uh, Upside. Yes. So there's been a bit of a uh, 
It got destroyed in the box office. Yeah, well, that's... I'm not surprised. But there's... Brian Cranston's kind of under some heat right now because he's been getting a lot of flack for playing a role of a disabled person, and it's been raising the question. He was actually interviewed about it of, you know, why aren't these roles going to actual disabled people and like letting them tell these stories. Um, A friend of mine actually posted something on Facebook and so this is what he said. He goes, how is it that the general public can be upset that an actor or actress takes a major role that isn't part of their ethnicity, gender, etc., but it's taking it too far when the disabled community is annoyed that non-disabled actors and actresses constantly portray disabled characters in film and on stage? So that was his comment about it. I definitely understand where he's coming from because, like, everyone gets upset. Like, if a white actor played an ethnic role of any of any kind, you know, that would be like the end of everything as we know it. You know, especially in 2019, people would freak out. But so there are some snippets from uh, his interview here. It said that Brian Cranston has defended playing a disabled character in his latest film sayings casting as a man with quadriplegia was a business decision. Um, as actors were asked to play other people said the Breaking Bad star. Cranston said the subject was worthy for debate and there should be more opportunities for disabled actors, yet he maintained he was entitled to play characters whose attributes and abilities differed from his own. And this is a quote from Brian Cranston. He said, if I, as a straight older person, and I'm wealthy, I'm very fortunate, does that mean I can't play a person who is not wealthy? Does that mean I can't play a homosexual? He mused. So that was like basically the... My friend shared that on Facebook. That basically piqued my interest in this story, and I kind of like dug in a little bit more, and and it just really kind of like made me think a lot about. I feel like I could offer a legitimate defense for both sides of the argument, like you know, morally whether I should or not. That's you know not up to me. I'm not going to. But what do you think about that? I mean, it's been an issue for a long time. This is not a new thing. The the purest in me, if. If we were to say everyone was on an even playing field, I'd say this is absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Because I think anyone can hire anyone to do anything. Right. Um, with that being said, I do think that there are a lot of advantages given to certain people. Sure. Um, and I think that's what the outcry is about. But at the end of the day, acting, unlike even football where you have that rule i forget there's there's a name for it where you have to interview at least one minority before you can hire anyone so, um, rule. are you talking about affirmative action mm-hmm. we, so are you talking about affirmative action so we no, but there's a there's like an nfl term oh, okay for um, um but my point is it's called the rooney rule Oh, so yeah, yeah. so so the Rooney Rule basically says that you have to interview at least one minority, mm-hmm. and I think wow, that, a whole one, yeah, at least at least a whole I think, one I think that, minority. I think that's really important because at the end of the day, coaches have different skill sets, of course, but they're all doing the exact same thing. They're coaching a football team, right? Acting is a little bit different, and a lot of times it's not even, and we know this because we're in music. Sometimes you get decisions that on paper might seem morally fucked because some big studio decided to do something, but the reality is the studio probably didn't even think of it because this just came from the director who wanted to work with Brian Cranston. Right. So so like 
the the causation and the reality of what is going on are very different things. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I mean, the reality is some dude probably got his script greenlit, got Kevin Hart to play one role that he really wanted, and then was like, I'm a big Breaking Bad fan. Fuck it. I want I want Brian Cranston to play this. First of all, Brian Cranston's never the wrong choice. The guy's an incredible. That's actor. the other thing. It's yeah. like it's not like you pick like a um, you pick like a Brad Pitt or a George Clooney, where you just right. went for like the star of stars, uh-huh. right? You went for like a gangster actor. Yeah, Brian Cranston's unreal. I think so. I mean, the obvious the obvious stance that I feel like a lot of people would take is in defense of like a minority community or people with uh, physical disabilities and saying like more opportunities should be given to them in in these roles and like I definitely agree with that I think that you know we do need to be opening the doors a little bit more and people need to be more adamant about being inclusive um, to these specific groups of people who are affected by you know the decisions of these directors to otherwise give that role to somebody else. Um, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a minute, though, because it's one of my favorite things to do. And I'm going to say, um, would let's 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 take this story for example. I mean, let's just take Upside as the you know the target of our arguments. Pretend it didn't get ridiculed in in, in the box office, and just look at it objectively and say. Would that story have been as effective if someone like Brian Cranston wasn't given the opportunity to play the role, though? I mean, by using someone with like with his name and his status, you are automatically opening a lot of other marketing doors to be able to get this out to a lot more people. And so it does, to me, playing devil's advocate, it does beg the question of like, is there a sacrifice here? Of like, let's say that we go with an unknown actor because they're the authentic version in real life of what they're playing. We put that movie out, and then let's just pretend that we make that same movie with an A-list actor. Obviously, one of them's going to get more press, and one of them's going to be more widely recognized just because of who's involved. So, is you know, is the argument like? Do we do do we do things on a on a level of morality for the sake of the art we're making, or do we create a situation for ourselves to to get this story out on a bigger platform because we want more people to know about it? Like, is that even the issue? You know what I mean? Like, is that something that people even care about, or is that what's even going on? You know. So, so the other side of that for me is think about someone like Peter Dinklage, mm-hmm. who got the opportunity to play a role because of. His uh, his size and whatever you want to say about yeah. him being a smaller person, mm-hmm. and now he's a superstar. He played a huge person in Infinity War. Yeah. So I guess Which, my ironically, his character's name was still Etri the Dwarf. <laughs> I mean that, that that that's Marvel just like having fun. It's great though. Um, it's so good. But my point is, what if there is an amazing actor who is a quadriplegic who just hasn't been given the opportunity yeah. because quadriplegic couldn't play a standing person. No. But a quadriplegic could play someone in a wheelchair, of course. Sure. So I think the outcry is more that this was a perfect opportunity to break an actor who has great skill, and it was a missed opportunity from that standpoint. Not taking anything away from Brian Cranston's performance. Right, right, right. But would there have been a situation where this could have been a really uplifting story? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I feel like you got to take Kevin Hart out too if you're gonna do that. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? 
I don't know. I have a hard time taking that dude seriously. Um, as but funny as I think he is. But I need to. I need a. <coughs> with I. I don't really mean to tangent too much right now. But we do need to shift over to music for a second because an article just came out this morning. And it states, title, fake streams, criminal investigation underway over potential data fraud in Norway. For, like... title For title Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, so for fake streams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, I was recovering from coughing so much. Uh, <laughs> didn't hear, like, the first half. I didn't hear the word title at the beginning, and so I was kind of... I was like, with who? Oh, my God. Um, yeah, title. this looks... I mean... This looks pretty real. It's on music business worldwide. That's pretty real. That's insane. Have you been to Tidal's corporate yeah. headquarters in New York? Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, we have. It's cool. I've been Logan and I performed there. Yeah. We've done. This isn't the first there. time that they've uh, that this has been like kind of whispered. Who knows, man? This like the it's like the streaming services version of like buying, you know, likes on social media and shit. Totally. Uh, what do you think, though, in general? Not just on this, but do you think a lot of the digital stuff's kind of skewed? Like, what's your gut say? I don't know. I feel like if it is, it, it you know it always has been, and we just have to accept it. But I would like to think that uh, the numbers aren't inflated from from what. So, like, let's say that you go look up a song, and you and then it says this song has. Excuse me, it's got that many streams. I don't necessarily think that number's wrong. I think how they come up with that number and how they're communicating to us what that number represents might be misleading, you know. Um, because everybody knows about, you know, getting into playlists on Spotify stuff. I mean, you get into, like, New Music Fridays, you get in all these different um, playlists that are just massive worldwide djs get into them electronic art artists get into them all the time and you know you'll throw a song in there a song will have you know say a song has a hundred million streams on spotify you know 50 million of those might be because it's just circulated through all these different playlists and it's just they don't even just, know who they are it's just on autopilot you know what i mean it's it's turned on in dance studios and like gyms fucking people just throw it on their car when they're on the way to work or whatever and i'm not saying that those aren't um, legitimate streams, but that's not like an authentic listen. You know what I mean? Like the person didn't seek out that artist to listen to their song. They just played a playlist and it just kind of scrolled through. Yeah, I mean, it's a, and you just passively absorbed it. So like, it's a problem that we have these uh, today, where an artist will have a billion streams on a song, but it can't sell five hundred hard tickets on a show. Hundred percent. Like that's a real problem. Uh, well, I don't know if it's a problem, but there's definitely a disconnect. You know, so. I mean, I've been saying for years, I mean, people, like, as I know people even from Texas and um, all over the place that, that have pretty big YouTube followings, and they'll put up a video and, you know, get a million views or whatever, you know, and they'll, they're musicians, they're music people, and they'll, I mean, for, I, I, I you know, I know this guy um, from Texas who, who did music a lot, and for, you know, probably the better part of a decade now, he's, uh, you know, had... A, a solid YouTube following. He would put out covers and songs and stuff like that, and they would they blow. He'd do funny videos or whatever. They blow up, and it's like cool. You've got this awesome YouTube presence, but like, but like you you want to be like a real musician. So how is this helping you? You know what I mean? Because it's not. I mean, because like you can't. 
apply those numbers and those figures from your YouTube channel to your person and your artist image because no one gives a shit. Well, that's like the problem. No one fucking cares to be honest. Even with when you, you went, so even when you're at Apple and you're just buying a song for ninety nine cents, you're not even a full album. At least somebody had to put their credit card information down, and it, it's not even about the action of spending the money, but about the action of using your time, yeah. whether it's five seconds or a minute, to go through the process to buy it. Well, you're being deliberate about it. You intentionally did it. Exactly. And that's the point. That's my that's my that's my point about the playlist thing too. It's just like a lot of these so again, yeah, I'm not saying that those aren't real numbers, but it's misleading because a, a large percentage of those streams weren't like intentional, deliberate decisions by the listener to seek out that specific artist and go, hey, I want to listen to this song. Now, the flip side of that is you might not never even know who that person is without that playlist. And so there's definitely pros to this. I get that. But everyone knows the positive sides of this because we all benefit from it. But not everyone may know the negative sides of it. And so I, you know, obviously I'm going to take the opportunity to talk shit about it for a minute because I fucking can't. Yeah, <laughs> so. I mean, I, I, I was talking about this earlier with a buddy. And when streaming and digital um, music became a thing, it's where we forked from the film industry for a while music and film have the same pathway sell your art to the sell your art to the head of music at any major label and then let them sell your music for you yeah same thing with acting sell your acting skills to a studio and then they'll sell you in a movie yeah and then digital streaming happened and it turned into this thing where people are like, oh, we can do it without you now. And then so music started making a hard right. Mm. But what a lot of people didn't realize was it takes a lot of money, relationships, time, and resources that a lot of independent artists didn't have to break a record. Yeah. A lot of behind the scenes happens at major labels that people don't really understand. 100%. And I think we're at this impasse now where artists are like, well, we want to be independent, we want to do it ourselves, and... All it takes is this and that and whatever. And major labels go, well, then just go and do it. And then artists are, and they're like, wait, but we need your help on this, this, and that. Uh-huh. And I think for all the benefits that that is creating for music, it's also creating this interesting place where it's not necessarily about the music anymore, mm. but it's about how quickly can you get a reaction. Absolutely. And I think that... Uh, I mean, I completely agree with your point. And, and honestly, your point, I don't even think, is one that can be agreed or disagreed with. It's just a fact. It's like record labels do so many things that just the general populace does not understand or is even willing to acknowledge or even would even begin to know to think about, you know? And so record labels are not these, you know, ominous evil corporations that people make them out to be the vast majority of them including probably all of the majors are you know some version of some blood-sucking you know fucking (laughs) sociopath who only really wants to take your image so that they can convert it into dollars and take those dollars and keep them so i'm not saying they're perfect but record labels do still have merit they didn't they wouldn't be around you know at the end of the day an independent artist is going to have a really, really long road ahead of them if they try to do it on their own. I'm not saying don't try to do it on your own. Lots of people, you know, or indie did it on their own without getting signed. Um, lots of lots of 
people that are household names done that, you know? Um, that did it without getting signed. Yeah. Yeah, Ch- uh, Tyler, the creator, Tyler I think. Tyler, creator, Chance the Rapper, Kendrick Lamar. No, not Kendrick Lamar. Um, Macklemore. Macklemore, uh, yeah. Yeah. So lots of people that are massive have done it. I get it. But... You know, I tell I tell younger artists this all the time. People talk to me about you know kind of what it takes or what they need or whatever, and and I'm just like, look, it doesn't matter what you want to do. You need money. Like you need up front, hard, big fucking piles of money to make art and give it to people. If you want to do anything that you want to get out to other people in this world you need a shitload of money you need a quarter front. million minimum 100% minimum. people don't people don't realize that i mean like you're going to spend i mean you're probably going to spend at least a million dollars in one album cycle just on marketing and breaking your name getting you out doing promo getting radio stations to get you spins um, with all of your A&R you know there's a lot of administrative costs that go into breaking an artist like building a team behind the scenes like people don't understand there's a shitload of money that goes into it. And I think a lot of these people are figuring out um, that they figured out how to use the internet to their advantage and they get a lot of plays and video um, views and likes on, on all these different platforms and stuff. And that's really great. But like you said earlier, and we've talked about this offline a ton, you know, it's like, you know, you have a billion streams, you know, as some, you know, unknown artist you know to the world but you've got a billion streams because you figured out how to you know make this machine work to your advantage and you have a lot of really great things on the internet to show for what you've done but go to walmart and introduce yourself as your artist's name and watch someone not know who you are you know go to the movies go anywhere go to a restaurant go to another show fuck's sake go to a show people who are similar to you introduce yourself see if anyone knows who you are you know the chances are they're probably not going to so your streams and your views and your likes and your followings more often than not don't even come close to correlating to real world income or success you know now income's a little different a lot of people make money off of uh, off of ads and, and and things like that but um, I feel like the only thing that the independent artist who has a strong online following or a good amount of streams has going for them is the fact that they can now prepackage this, uh, all this legwork that they did on their own and go take it to a record label and say like, hey, give me a seat at the table now. Look at what I did by myself. I'm a turnkey operation. I just need you to pour gas on the fire, basically. And I think and that's that what happens be, a lot. That know? should be the anomaly. But I think the problem is that that's all majors are looking for these days. Pretty much. So there's a lot of artists that are incredible, but inherently, as we all know, as extroverted as an artist looks on stages is that is as introverted they are behind the scenes yeah so a lot of artists who are making real music real art don't necessarily know how to do a lot of those steps yeah and i think that we've put ourselves in a conundrum where people assume that that is part of the art that you should be able to market yourself and you should be able to do this and you should be able to do that but a lot of music, I mean, does Eminem happen if he had to figure out a way to get out of Detroit by himself and get to L.A.? Yeah, that's tough, you know? I mean, that was also a very different time to where you almost couldn't do anything without a major. You know, now you can at least get somewhere on your own because we've, you know, opened part of that door. But, like, I mean, Eminem came up in a time to where, like, you needed a label. Totally. No one would know who the fuck you are, you know? Absolutely not. And so um, we can talk more about that. 
I want to talk a little bit about um, something that I don't have a ton of experience with creatively. I actually went to school for English for for technical writing, and so like I'm a really good editor and things like that. And um, I edit Amanda's. Um, well, pretty much anything that Amanda puts out that has to have some type of <laughs> written word in it, you know, I'll edit. Um, <laughs> so uh, I feel like I'm a good editor and like I have a lot of experience doing things like that. I used to tutor people a lot, but I want to talk more about creative writing, whether people um, have already learned this about you or not. You write a lot of short stories. You're working on a novel currently. You I own um, a company called Hero that part of it goes to developing original um, comic book stories and you're finding new mediums and new ways to put those out to people. So why don't you talk a little bit about what you do and then we can kind of talk about that process. Yeah, I I mean, it, it kind of goes back. I always knew I had some form of art in me. And I, for a while I tried to DJ and realized very quickly that I was not good at it, nor did I give two shits about <laughs> producing any music. Right. Um, and then, I mean, obviously I've tried to draw, but like a stick figure would be an accomplishment. <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> and then uh, and then I kind of realized that even though I couldn't draw the ocean I was really good at explaining it yeah that makes sense and over the f- last few years I got really good at creating worlds and for a very long time I thought that writing an actual story was a little bit beyond me where I was just really good at creating constructs I created a lot of constructs and a lot of story arcs and a lot of places, but never kind of was scared of trying to write dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, dialogue's very scary to start writing. Sure. And then I spent two years writing backstory for a book that I'm writing right now called Beyond Kuiper. Mm. And it got to the point where I was interviewing a bunch of uh, quote-unquote ghostwriters, people that take your stories and put them into books. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really find one that I thought could do better than what I could do. Well, and one day I was just like, fuck it. And I just started trying to write it. And I realized I was pretty good at writing the yeah. uh, the story. And the way that I write is, especially with Kuipers, we, so I write with my best friend, John Connolly. Mm-hmm. And me and John have like an open Google Doc, super simple. And we've written so much backstory that we know all the characters. Yeah. But what we'll do is we'll outline a chapter with ten pillars, things that need to happen in that chapter. Just single lines. Uh, Mary needs to go talk to David. David needs to go to work. Right. You know, just very, very simple things. And then things you, that work are necessary to like move this plot forward. Exactly. Move the story forward. Yeah. And then we start writing around those plot points, and it just flows really easily. The the idea of a um, of a story kind of goes back to the the ocean analogy is that every chapter every arc needs to feel like a wave mm-hmm. there needs to be a slow beginning and a and a middle arc and an end clash mm-hmm. and if you don't have that in every single piece that you're writing you won't keep the reader engaged that's just kind of what I think needs to happen when when you're writing a story, and that's what we're doing with Kuiper. I mean, we're 450 pages into a 600-page book, yeah. about 21 chapters written. We're thinking it's going to be about 36. Okay. And um, and yeah, the, the whole idea is that it's like a it's like a spider web, yeah. and there's a central node that's keeping everything hung together. But then there's thousands of side stories and yeah. and um, alleys and places for you to go and discover that 
relate to the main plot, but also kind of allow your imagination to go. Yeah. What, what I think is so cool about writing, specifically for me, is with a movie, so many people need to do their job well for you to enjoy your experience. Right. Same with music. Even though, yeah, for sure. even though music, it might be a band for people or a single singer, understand that there's a hundred to 200 people in the background that are doing what they need to do so they the final product of what you listen to is enjoyable. Yeah. And obviously with a movie, there's dozens of actors in a movie, hundreds maybe, depending on the movie. Yeah. Thousands of people editing and marketing and everything in the background. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's just once they have all the content captured. I mean, you talk about the crew on set, everyone that has to actually make sure that, you know, the capturing of that art that's being made is going off seamlessly so that people behind the scenes can actually do their job effectively. Like, And, and, and with writing, it's, it's three people. It's me, it's an editor, and it's a publisher. Yeah. And everything else is, it's all on you. Yeah. Right? It's all on you. I mean... In in writing, if I don't explain the ocean well enough, then you're not going to see it. Right. That's no one else's job. You can't you can't let anybody else take the blame for that, mm. which I think is really cool. That is cool. Um, and that, that's what kind of drew me to writing, uh, and specifically novels, because I think it's um, I think it's a medium that's going to come back. Maybe not in. Maybe not in the form of just books, but I do think the art of a story written and thought about versus watched mm. is going to be a bigger piece of the next 10 to 15 years than people imagine. Because there's a lot to be said about allowing your imagination to imagine. Right. And most movies allow you to imagine within their square. Yeah. And most books allow you to create a circle and then create a square around that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's been kind of how I felt about movies versus books over the years is that, like, you kind of have to subscribe to the premise that they're giving you in a movie. And they're literally saying, hey, we're going to show you this world and we're going to show you all of the variables in this world and you can only interact within these guidelines. Um, but just like you said, I mean, with books, you can kind of, um, you know, make it as personal as you want. You can kind of adapt things how you want. You can get as vivid and as extreme or as simple, um, you know, as you want with how you're interpreting certain characters or reading into a world. And I think that's really amazing. I feel like a lot of people don't give that a chance, you know. And it's and it's sad because, like, I, we've talked about this before. I enjoy reading, um, but I don't read fiction enough as I feel like I would like to. I, I read a lot of nonfiction and I well, that's not true. I read a shitload of graphic novels. That's technically fiction. Um for those of you who don't know, graphic <laughs> novels are not historical documents. They're um they're not true. They're not real. They're real to me. <laughs> Fuck you. Um <laughs> no just guys, please and don't allow anybody to write in the comments about Santa and the truth behind him. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. Um, I think that's really amazing. I mean, like you answered kind of a lot of questions that I probably would have asked anyway about um, just kind of your process and how you feel about um, writing and, and just that form of storytelling in general. Um, 
Patreon slash Matthew Medney. Um, obviously, you can... Patreon.com. Patreon.com, yeah. Uh, you can subscribe on the most basic level for five bucks a month. Obviously, it'll give you early access to listening to the podcast, um, but... I feel like a bigger piece of that is just being able to get an entry into a lot of these short stories that Matt yeah, writes. Yeah, I put and, I put two to three on there a month. Yeah, um, so it's and a if lot you're of fun. if you're if you're not much of a reader, uh, the short story format can be a really really simple and easy way to get into um, figuring out how you like being able to just kind of let your mind wander whenever you give into a story and just kind of accept it. And I think that's a good point, letting your mind wander. Even if you're yeah. not into reading, I, I implore you to, whether it's my stories or anybody's, uh, get into the habit of reading a 500 to 1,500-word story every so often. It just um, it allows you to start thinking a little bit differently overall in life. Yeah, for and sure. It could help you in your job, in your life, whatever. And it'll expand your vocabulary. Learn some new words other than totally. thought and, and sweet and sweet and, dude, and rad, which I say all the fuck time. I say rad. I abuse that word. Um, Savage. <laughs> you fucking abuse that word. <laughs> uh, that was within the first five words ever came out of your mouth, and uh, you know three. The first three were hi, I'm Matt, and there was probably <laughs> another one in between there, and then something happened situationally, and then the word just emerged from your being. Um, now I. Uh, I think that about does it for for our talk today. Um, definitely want to encourage people to go check out the Patreon page. It's Matt's personal page, and again, you can um, you can listen to the podcast early for five bucks a month. But if not, it always goes up a few days later. On um, we go through Podbean, but it goes up on iTunes through the regular podcast app. Um, but definitely go check out some short stories uh give them a shot even if you're i mean if you're super into it you'll definitely like them uh they're pretty immersive worlds even through a few paragraphs you kind of already get sucked into this universe and um you know imagining all these different outcomes of what could possibly happen so yeah it's encourage everyone to do it it's fun um maybe give us uh some ideas you know maybe we'll maybe that'd be cool matt and or matt and myself will write some fun things about some fan ideas maybe on the next episode we'll do a little uh 15 minute segment on just like creative writing and like we'll just come up with an idea and i'll show you how i take yeah. a simple idea and just kind of grow it into a story that can be super fun cool um everyone be safe go drink coffee from rad spots again the place from today was uh olive and time it's in the um burbank slash toluca lake area very good coffee i think it's in technically it's in toluca lake i think i'm gonna call it burbank I'm from the beach. Everything on the side of the mountain is Burbank or Sherman Oaks. <laughs> That's super fair. Um, <laughs> cool, right, guys. Everyone. Thanks so much. Have a good, Have a good time. time. Bye. Bye.